Good to see everyone. Great to sing along with you this morning as we worship the Lord. I ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, we will be beginning next week back in our series with Acts, picking up where we left off in the spring, Acts 13. But today, I'm going to be coming from Acts chapter 20, just one verse, verse 35, and this is the last, sermon number three in our series, We the Church. We the Church, as we kind of reorient ourselves, coming back from summer and thinking through the fall, what it means to be a part of God's body, why we exist, why we are here. And so we've been looking at that over the last few weeks, and this will be the last of that sermon. And, and really, we've been kind of taking apart this this main idea that we've been looking at together. And if I can remind you of that main idea, it goes simply like this. We, the church, exist to display the glory of God by being built upon and centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ and by living generously in a world desperate for hope. And so over the last three weeks, we've been, or two weeks, we've been looking at this sentence together. We exist, the church exists to display the glory of God. That's our sole reason why we are here, to display God's glory. We, the church, are gospel-centered, focused in the gospel, living in the gospel. And then today, we, the church, must live generously. We, the church, must live Generously. So our discussion today as we look to God's word will be on this idea of generosity. Now I'm sure when you hear that, you think I'm going to talk or preach about money. And already someone is upset over here. <laughs> as I was preparing for this sermon, I was uh, reminded of the famous Great Awakening orator, George Whitfield and his relationship with Benjamin Franklin. Whitfield was not only known for his oratory, his power through his preaching, but also he was known for his appeals for money. He had an orphanage outside of Savannah, Georgia, that as he preached throughout the colonies, he would have to have these powerful appeals for money. They would go after people's hearts and their purses, Benjamin Franklin said. Benjamin Franklin was amazed at Whitfield. Whitfield had such a powerful voice, he would preach in the open air in the, in the 18th century, the 1700s. And, and as he would preach in the open air, Whitfield, uh, excuse me, Benjamin Franklin would just be amazed at how many people could hear him without any amplification. So amazed that Franklin would go to where he was speaking. Someone, Benjamin Franklin, by the way, who never professed Christ or Christianity. But he would go to, to listen as Whitfield was speaking and he would mark off a radius around and then try to count a small square and figure out how many people were there. And Franklin, according to his estimations, would say that some 30,000 people could hear George Whitfield outside in the open air without amplification at any one given time. Really a, an incredible thing. But Franklin also knew that whenever it came time for Whitfield to close out his session, he needed to be done because then would be when he would start asking for a collection. And so Franklin, who was against Whitfield's orphanage in Savannah, why would anybody want to put anything in Georgia? He thought Philadelphia was the better place, and so he was against it. He went one day to listen. He went one day to listen to Whitfield preach and to do his computations. 
And he went with the idea that he would not give him a dime. He wrote this in his journal. In the course of one of his sermons, I, pers I perceived he intended to finish with a collection. And I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. He went on. Now, I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five coins of gold. As Whitfield spoke, I began to soften, and I gave the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of just giving the coppers and determined to give him the silver. And he finished so admirably, admirably that by the end, I emptied my pockets completely into the collection dish, gold and all. Franklin says he, not only that day did he empty his pockets, he had a friend come to him and say, listen, I, don't want, I didn't want to give any money to Whitfield either, but he finished so well and his collection was so strong. Can you give me some money so I can give some to him as well? Whitfield was a master uh, preaching and great orator, and he was also one who did well asking for money. I learned two things from this. I believe there's two types of preachers in the world. Those who are good at talking about money and preaching about it, and those who are not so good. George Whitfield was good. I'm not. <laughs> but I also learned another thing. The people in the crowd... At least at the beginning, none of them want to talk about it either. And so as we come to this, as these men were resolved not to give, but only through Whitfield's pool, as we look to this, I want us to consider what generosity is. When we look to God's word and we consider our resources, our, which again, is more than just money, but our time, our talents, and yes, even as we say, our treasure, then there is only one way to live for the believer. That's generously. And I believe that this is not just an issue of finances or bank accounts. I believe this is an issue of the heart. That This is an issue of discipleship in our life and, and how we're going to follow the Lord and how we're going to live out before him. Not just generous giving, but I believe generosity is a lifestyle that we must live out before God. And I want us to consider this morning you're a guest with us, you need to know this is the only one you have to endure. Come back and text, test, test this next week as we look to Acts 13. But I want us to consider this morning what it means to live in light of the goodness and graciousness of God. We look to Acts chapter 20 for this, verse 35. And while we'll look at the context in just a second, I just simply want to follow along with the second half of Acts 20, verse 35, as Paul is finishing his speech to the Ephesian elders. And he says to them, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Help us as we look together at your word, that you would mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And may we, your people, recognize today, Father, that you have given us everything. Everything we have is a gift from you. And so make us good stewards for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage in Acts chapter 20 is a very intimate section in the book of Acts. These are Paul's last words, as I said, to the leadership, the elders at Ephesus, 
a church was, that Paul was very well connected to. If you go back in chapter 18, there was a man named Apollos who had heard of God and, and his, his truth. And he began to teach and preach in Ephesus. And, and while he didn't have all of the pieces together about Jesus and his resurrection, he, he began to teach the truth. Uh, and so one Aquila and Priscilla came along and said, come, we'll finish this out. We'll teach you what it is. And so he went to Corinth, Apollos did, and he began to, to learn from them. And while he's in Corinth, Paul comes into Ephesus. And when Paul gets there, he finds this core of people who have heard the good news of Christ. And, and he teaches them. And he begins to show them what it means, the, these ones that pa Apollos had set up. And so as he begins to teach them, there's, it tells us that there's 12 of them that had come together. And, and Paul invests in them for two years, it says. As Paul is investing in them uh, during this time, a riot begins to break out because so many people believed the gospel in Ephesus, they stopped buying the gods that were being made, the God of Artemis and the statues to worship. And so those who were making the statues were upset because these Christians were taking away their money and their resources by proclaiming the gospel. And so they riot and Paul has to leave quietly. He has to leave and get out of town without being able really to say bye. So after Paul goes through some other areas, he gets to a place that was close again to Ephesus and he calls these elders over. And he, he gives them during that time his closing speech to them really. The last time he would see them face to face. Now we see the intimacy as well in that letter he wrote to them called Ephesians. But, but here we see this so well. In fact, in chapter 20, it tells us that verse 36, he had said these things. He knelt down and prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. There was great love and emotion here. Paul had invested the last two years with them. He didn't get an opportunity to say bye, so here he does. And of all the lessons Paul gives, almost as if to say, all the lessons that I give you must be lived out as Paul ends this whole thing, telling them about the gospel, telling them about the word of God as you read through chapter 20. He ends this whole time together with this statement in chapter 20, verse 35. He closes with this axiom, if you will. A statement, an axiom is a, a statement or a proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, and, and even self-evidently true. A statement to live by, in other words. He closes his entire emotional time with the Ephesian elders by saying, it is better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, isn't it interesting that in this moment, as, as Paul has laid out so many truths of them, he closes his time with this axiom, it is more blessed to give than receive. In fact, Paul says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. If we look in the Gospels, that phrase is not quoted by Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We don't find it there. But what we see here is that Paul is using a phrase that Jesus repeatedly said over and over again to teach his disciples a true statement that Jesus says and has been proven over and over again. Paul is saying, of everything that I teach you, of everything that I give you, of all of the gospel, of all of God's word, of all of those truths, of all of your life and how you spend it, of all of that, you must remember, you must remember that unless you live generously, you will not find happiness and you will not advance the gospel. 
Unless you live generously before the Lord. Don't forget this. It all comes down to how will you live. So as we think about that truth, as Paul closes it out, it's more blessed to give than receive. I want us to be in the same way as these Ephesian elders. Having received so much from God that we live it out generously before others. And so if we can think of this logically, it's just four quick points here. Four quick points. Generosity comes as a response to the gift of God in your own heart. First, generosity comes as a response to the gift of God in your own heart. Generosity does not come natural to us, does it? Have any of y'all ever been around children? You know? Children do not like to share. It comes naturally to them to hold on to what is theirs and not offer it up or give it to anybody else. Now, there are some of you that may act like children in here, and I want to ask you not to look around at this point. But what we know about children is it's their natural inclination to hoard and to grab and to keep and not allow it because in some thought process they think if they give it away, they'll never get it back again, right? So in order for us to learn generosity, it must be displayed. In fact, I would tell you that I, I think this is the truth. Generosity must be displayed before us. We can talk about it. But until we see it happen, we don't fully catch the vision for what it means to give up something knowing that it can bless others. We must see it on display, not just be taught it. You're not going to sit in a class and learn generosity and these rules and that rules. We have to learn generosity by it being displayed before us. And while it does not come naturally to our own sinful hearts, we can see it displayed most clearly in God himself. In fact, you're your example for generosity doesn't have to be anybody else but the Lord. I mean, the scriptures speak of this. The very first lear- uh, verse we probably learned, the very first verse you probably learned in the scriptures is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. It is God's generosity that brings salvation to us. It is God giving of his son and his son coming and giving of his life. We see generosity in God. We see the generosity in Jesus. We see the generosity in the spirit coming and dwelling within us. God is a generous God. If there's any way we can describe him, and there's countless ways we can, what we do need to know is that God, who owns everything, has generously and faithfully given us all we need always. He's generously given these things of all we received in our life, of all that we own, of all that we have. If you're a child of God today, then you recognize that your greatest possession comes from God himself. If you're not a child of God, if you haven't given your life to Christ and you don't know him as the greatest gift, let me entertain you by understanding this. Your greatest possession comes from God as well. You see, not only is is our greatest possession Jesus Christ, if we know him and we trust him and he's given us eternal life, but on top of that, it is God in heaven who has given you every breath you breathe. It's God in heaven who is causing right now your heart to beat. It's the God of the universe who holds life in his hands. So your very breath and your very life is a gift from a gracious and generous God. Consider Child of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
In Ephesians 2, Paul is reminding the Ephesians, just like he did here in chapter 20, he's reminding the Ephesians of who they were, what happened to them, and now what is a benefit from what happened. He tells them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a sinner. We, we can use the D's here. You were dead. You were disobedient. You were depraved and you were doomed. Like the rest of mankind, he says, you were helpless and you were hopeless in your sin. You could do nothing about it. There was no way out. There was nothing you can offer. You can read that in Ephesians 2. And then after he says you were doomed because of your sin, the next verse in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. Do you see God's wealth is found in his mercy and his grace? But God, being rich in mercy, while you were still a sinner, while you were dead, he made you alive. This is the generosity of our God that through his rich mercy, he has given us life through Jesus Christ. But notice it says down in verse 7 of chapter 2, he's made you alive so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God, who's rich in mercy, gave us life. He was generous to us through Christ to give us life so that he may continue to show us his immeasurable riches of goodness. God in his generosity has given us life through his son, Jesus Christ, so that he can keep blessing us throughout all of eternity in Christ himself. Time. Psalm 90 tells us that he's the one who numbers our days. Talents. James 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Our treasure Paul asked the Corinthians rhetorically, what do you have that hasn't been given to you with the clear understanding? Nothing. All of it comes from God. We spoke of the gospel last week. God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ is our Savior. That we must respond to this. The response of the gospel is a response to the generosity of a gracious and glorious God. To give us a Savior in Christ. Everything we have is from God. The old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Well, my friends, if you ever thought to do that or tried, you would recognize really quick that it's really impossible. That when we begin to name the blessings of God, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And quickly, those who are saved in Christ and know his generosity are overwhelmed by the gift that God has given us in his graciousness. God is generous and he is our example on display of generosity in our own hearts, in our own lives. And because God is generous and he's our example... Our generosity, then, number two, leads to an attitude or a perspective change about our own life. If everything we have is from God, then we're not owners, really, of anything. If everything we have is from God and given to us, it's not as if we own it, we become stewards of it. And I know that's an old word, stewardship or stewards. It just simply means that we receive something and now we use that thing. It passes through us. It passes through us to be used to bless others. God has gifted us with life. He's gifted us with breath. He's gifted us with salvation. 
All of that now is to be used by us as it blesses us so we can become blessings to others. Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable there. The parable of the talents, or as some had called it, the good stewards. And, and, and as the master is leaving, the, 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 the king is leaving town, he, he gives those in his stead some things to take care of. And, and to one it says he gave five talents, and to the next he gave two, and to the next he gave one. And when he comes back, he finds that the one he gave five had turned that into ten. And the one who he gave two had turned it into four. To both of those people, he said, well done, well done. You've taken what I've given you and you have multiplied it. You have made more of it. You have used it generously and more have come back. Well done. And then he looks at the last one and the last one comes to him and said, look, I didn't want to lose what you gave me. I was, I was scared that I may lose it. So I buried it back here in a hole and, and, and here's your one that you gave me. I'm giving it back to you. And what does the king say to them? You wicked servant. I gave you, I blessed you, and you hoarded it and buried it? You wicked servant. If we take what God has given us and just bury it for us, God is saying that's what the height of wickedness. We'll have to give an account for that. We'll have to give an account to the Lord for the blessings and the treasures he gives us that we just simply bury and hoard for ourselves. Here it says. We must give an account for those things. So now our attitude must be, though, as those who were multiplying it, is that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing following the example of God himself. It says in verse, chapter 20, verse 35, that axiom that we talked about. Happiness equals blessed, right? Okay, so if you're blessed, you're happy. That's what it means. So happiness is found in generosity. Not in hoarding, but giving. Not in keeping for yourself, but letting others know about it. The Lord said that's where happiness is actually found. Now, turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I've quoted a couple, but I'm going to get you to turn here. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is dealing with this issue of generosity. In fact, he's been dealing with it for two chapters, trying to teach the Corinthian church about it. And he's trying to show them the attitude that is proper in light of the gift of God. Chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He's speaking of giving. He's speaking of living generosity, generously. So if we give much, we'll be receiving much. And so this is where happiness is found. It's giving and then receiving back joy from generosity. It says in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. What you will not hear from me is you will not hear me tell you what you must give. That's not my role or my responsibility. In fact, he says here, you give, you give not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not at all. You must give what the Lord deals with you in your heart to give. We've heard about the word tithe, a tenth. Maybe that's a good place to start. I don't even go there. You need to be praying, Paul says, about what it is God would have you to give. And you give that, listen to what he says, not, under, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Those who give freely, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, those who give freely of the blessings and generosity of God will, the Lord says, find happiness. That's where your joy will be. To bless others with what you have been blessed with. He goes on. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He says, you've been blessed in every way to be generous. Our attitude must be God who in his goodness and his graciousness and his kindness has been generous to us and giving us his grace and mercy. And now as his generosity comes to us, we are to give away what he has blessed us with. That's how we're fulfilled. You are fulfilled by giving, he says. You find happiness and joy by giving. And the more you give, the more he feels. And the more he feels, the more you give. And it works this way, Paul says, that our attitude comes from an understanding that you cannot outgive God. That he will continue to give as you multiply and live generously before him. When you live this way, then. Third, generosity results in a lifestyle of living open-handed to others. If we recognize that God is great and he is generous to us, and therefore our mindset is everything we have has been a gift to us, so we give it freely to be generous to others. Now we live open-handed of all that we have so that others may be blessed. Again, just like the Lord. As Psalm 145 says, you have opened up your hand and you satisfied the desires of every living creature. So we live open-handedly in this world, giving up what we have been blessed with because you are blessed so you can be a blessing. You give of your time, you give of your talents, you give of your treasure as believers in Christ so that you can find the fulfillment you long for. Here's how you do both of these, by the way. Our desire is to glorify God. We glorify God by blessing others. If that's our, if that's our main responsibility, our main role here as a church to, to bring glory and display God's glory, we display God's glory by being a blessing and living generously to others. In this way, these two things come together. This is how we do it. And what we know is that God will meet our needs. As we live generously, God will bless us. That's the lesson little children have to learn, right? They have to learn that it's okay to give the toy up for just a moment because it'll come back to them. They have to learn it's okay to give this up for just a bit because, because it, will, it will return. And if it does not return, it'll be replaced with something better quite possibly. It's okay to recognize that, that we can give up these things knowing that there's a God who overlooks us and sees what we give up and knows how we're living. And he will not leave us wanting or in lack. He will give us all that we long for, he says. In fact... He has used the generosity of others to meet my needs and your needs over and over again, has he not? 
There's no doubt in my mind that every single one of us in this room can speak to how your needs have been met through others giving things to you, being generous to you. That's the Lord and how he works. He uses the generosity of others to meet our needs and to bless us so that we can then meet the needs of others. Matthew 25 again. You had the parable of the talents, right? So you had the one, don't bury it, that's wickedness. Multiply it, give it away, live generously. But in Matthew 25, he speaks of the final judgment. Right after that parable of the talents and, and those who hoard it, he speaks of the final judgment. And one of the, the most disturbing and difficult even passages to read because at the end, it says that the Lord will divide the people, one on his right hand and one on his left, and he'll look to those on the right, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servants, and they'll say, what do you mean? What qualifies us to be good and faithful? And the Lord responds, as the king says to those on the right, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous say, when do we see this? When do we see you hungry or feed you and thirsty, give you drink? A stranger, when do we do this? And he says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. In other words, well done, good and faithful servants, for you have lived generously with what you've been blessed with. You have lived generously. The final judgment comes down to our generosity. He says to the ones on the left, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. At the final judgment, the Lord looks at those on his right and says, well done, for you have been faithful with all I've blessed you with, and you've lived generously out and given freely to those who are in need. But you over here, you have given nothing. Depart from me, I never knew you. The difference in the righteous and the unrighteousness, unrighteous at the end, is their generosity. Now listen. It's not because your salvation is dependent upon how much you give. That's not it. But to that much has been given, much is expected, the Lord says. And your heart toward generosity reflects what you understand how you have been blessed with. So if you can't give to some others, then you don't know the generosity of God himself. Which leads finally which, by the way, let me say this again. There will be no stingy people in heaven. Amen? So it is now for us. Generosity is how the gospel will be advanced around the world. Generosity is how the gospel will be advanced around the world. Paul ends with these Ephesian elders Telling them is more blessed to give than receive. And why does he do that? Because he recognizes if they live generously, the gospel will not be stopped and cannot be stopped. But if they don't live generously, it ends with them, right? Aren't you thankful that whoever shared the gospel with you shared it with you generously? 
was open-handed to tell you? Because if they hadn't told you, you may have never known. If you hadn't heard from them, you may not know who Christ is and the generosity of our God, but they were faithful to live generously. Even as we stand here in this church, in this place, we see the generosity of those who have gone on before us to provide what we need to continue to preach and proclaim and serve and give the gospel out freely. The generosity of God's people advances the gospel. The gospel flows through the generous. You may have heard this before, but if you had the cure for cancer, would it be okay for you to hold that into yourself? Would it be okay for you to not tell anybody, to hold that back? What I'm saying is we have something as God's people far greater than the cure for cancer. We have the words of everlasting life. And it would be wrong for us who have been blessed with these truths of God and Jesus Christ to hold them back and hoard them for ourselves. Jesus says that is wickedness. And we must not do that. We live generously because that's how the gospel will be advanced. Yes, we speak words. Yes, we proclaim the good news. But in every time we give the good news, we speak the good news, we are living generously before God and before others, blessing those with what we have been blessed with. We want to see the gospel advanced. We have big plans here at Taylor's First to advance the gospel, to multiply out, to send out more workers, to establish more churches, to do more for the kingdom. All of those plans come down to our desire to change the world for Jesus. But all of those plans come back to whether or not God's people will give generously to accomplish them. If we want to change the world for Jesus, if we want to establish more churches, if we want to send out more workers, if we want to proclaim the gospel, then God's people at Taylor's First Baptist must live generously. Time, talents, treasure. We must be ready to give and give sacrificially. I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong. Week after week, the generosity of God's people at this church is on display. I could name 10 instances personally this week where I've seen it on display. As we get together as a staff to speak and remind you or, or tell you stories of generosity, we have to cut down which ones we will tell so that we can bring one to you because there's so many opportunities to tell. We can see that over and over and over again. And because of that, I am excited about what God's going to do from the life of our church. There's all kind of metrics you can measure to find out health. But the most important metrics in the life of a church to distinguish as health cannot be measured by numbers. It's measured by the size of the heart of God's people who live generously before others. I want to advance the gospel. And so because of that, I want us to live generously. It's the only way it's possible. And we need everyone for this task. All of you are here for a reason. And I'm asking even in this, because if you don't ask, you don't receive. I'm asking in this to take that step in your own life. You see our slides before the service, countless opportunities to serve. If you would like to serve here, we have those places. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is say it's time. We see the opportunity to use your gifts and talents in so many different places. God has blessed you. Don't hide those in the backyard, but bring them here to be used for the glory of God. And sure, even finances, as we seek to make all of this work, 
our established network in place to advance the gospel and fill the world with the good news of Christ. We need everyone to take that next step in your life. Whether you've never given, maybe it's the time to give. Whether you've given once, maybe it's the time to give regularly. Maybe if you've given regularly, maybe it's the time to give sacrificially, whatever it is. I don't have to tell you what that is. I can't do it, but I'm just simply asking you to pray and ask the Lord what it would be for you and your family to demonstrate your thanksgiving and who God is and what he's done for you. And recognize that your wealth is not found in your bank account, but in the treasures of God. All of us, my friends, will have to give an account for this. The Lord not only knows our hearts, he knows our bank accounts too. He knows because he has blessed us with every penny there. So what would it mean for us to live generously, faithfully here? Today might be the day that you need to accept the greatest gift of all. Ultimately, all of us are needy. And our great need is to have our sins forgiven. And today may be the day that you accept the greatest gift of all, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. And in his generosity coming for you to save you from your sins and you accept him as that great gift of eternal life for God so loved you that he gave his son. You accept him, then you can know what it means to have true joy and fulfillment and blessing others with the great gift that you've been blessed with. Today may be that day for you as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You are good. God, work in every heart. Do what only you can do through the power of your spirit. God, I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful that you move. I'm thankful that you work. I'm thankful that you're faithful. I'm thankful for your generosity. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for your people here. God, in all of their kindness and goodness to give and live in such a way that honors the great gifts that you have blessed us with. Father, help us now for your glory, by your name, to declare today, Father, that we will live generously for the world to see, to know, to hear the gospel of Christ Jesus. We'll live just as you have taught us. God, we ask all of these things now in your kindness to us. Today's the day you need to accept the greatest gift that's ever been given. We have ministers, pastors waiting for you in the back. They'd love to see you. At the end of our service time together, we'll have our monthly church conference where we'll come together and hear all the names of so many that are joining our body to live generously in the gospel at this place so that we can change the world for Jesus. If you would like to be a part of us, maybe today is that day as well. We would love to speak to you about all of these things. You can step out, speak to one of our ministers as we stand and sing together thanking God for who he is. Let's stand.